So, Mr. Rogers, 33 years on TV, just making kindness and gentleness and mercy attractive, didn't he? And in fact, he says that, right? This is one of his quotes from Mr. Rogers. He says, try your best to make goodness attractive. That's one of the toughest assignments you'll ever be given, to make goodness attractive. One of the crazy things about Mr. Rogers is people thought he was fake because he was so good, right? Like you'd watch him and people would always, if you watch some of the specials about him, people are always like, now what's he like when the cameras are off? Like I bet he's a real diva, right? He wasn't. He was genuinely that kind and gentle and nice and good. And the interesting thing is a lot of people didn't even know he was a Christian. They just knew he was Mr. Rogers and that he was kind and merciful and gentle on top of that, most people didn't know what, not only that he was a Christian, but he was actually an ordained minister. And that was like his whole mission was to do this TV thing to infect, impact the life of kids and generations. Here's what I love about Mr. Rogers is it was more important for Mr. Rogers to just be known as a kind, gentle, and loving person than it was that he was known that he was a Christian. Like, you know, he could have started each show and been like, you know what I mean? Won't you be my neighbor? You might be going to hell, but Jesus died on the cross. Look at my shoe. I toss it. Right? I don't know. He could have mixed in something that would have been like to say, I'm the Jesus guy. But he didn't. He was just like, I'm the kind, gentle, loving guy. And what's interesting is we don't have TV shows. Most of us don't still play with puppets. Um, that's probably a positive. Uh, my friend Ryan Allwart does. He actually has a, he has a puppet. And it has an Instagram. That's for another sermon. But we don't have TV shows. We don't play with puppets. But you know what we all are? Neighbors. We're not Mr. Rogers, but we are neighbors. And I'm wondering as neighbors here in Indianapolis, if we're making goodness attractive. Let me just speak to those of us in the room that call ourselves followers of Jesus. We got a problem. Because most of the time when people find out you're moving to the neighborhood and they find out you're a Christian, they don't go, oh, someone kind and good is moving in next door. People found out that my wife and I were moving into our neighborhood before we got there. And it was great. We moved in the neighborhood. They had a whole a banner over our driveway, it said, welcome, Pastor Darren, so excited a pastor is going to live on our cul-de-sac and bring kindness and goodness and Jesus-y stuff to the cul-de-sac. No, this did not happen. We found out at a neighborhood party after you know, some neighbors that had a couple cocktails, right? Tell you when we found out you were moving in, we were like, oh, here goes the neighborhood. Churchy guy's coming in. I was like, I, I don't, am I? I'm offended. I don't know if I am or not. I'm just going to. They found out that the Christian guy was coming to the neighborhood, and it wasn't real positive. Isn't that interesting? But to the, just this week, I just spent a little bit of time on Instagram, and I, there, I, I have a, a couple different bands that I follow. One of them happens to be a band, a, a Christian guys that have been doing amazing work for God for a long, long time. And one of the dudes posted him and, and one of his buddies celebrating a birthday, having a cigar. Mistake, mistake, mistake. He got destroyed in the comment sections from kind, gentle, loving, Jesus-type Christians, right? 
Hope you enjoy the smoke from that cigar when you burn in hell. And I was like, what the, what is stuff?" Afterwards, he even had to post, like, hey, like, guys, like, what, where's the, what's happening? And you have probably had your own experiences with really kind Christian-type people making goodness look attractive. Right? It, it, we've got a problem. And the story that I want to share from, from the book of, of, of Luke hopefully helps us because it gives us some perspective that Jesus has been teaching this kind of thing for a long time. Because what was amazing about Jesus, and if we, can, if we can actually begin to look like Jesus, is Jesus was actually God. Jesus was fully man and fully God. Jesus was the Son of God. He was God on earth, and he hung around lots of people that were really, really sinful because we all are. And somehow, people always wanted to hang around him. In fact, the, the, the worse sinner you were, the more you kind of really wanted to hang out with Jesus. But it was like the super religious people somehow missed the fact that they couldn't connect with, right? It was. And so the thing is, if we can get closer and closer to look more and more like Jesus, what I think begins to naturally happen is we begin to make goodness and kindness just really attractive. And then the third or fourth conversation when someone says, you are the kindest, most merciful person I've ever spent time with. How did you become like that? Then you say, oh, it's because I follow Jesus. Father, we need your help. And thank you for the word of God that guides, directs us, both the living and the written word of God. So I pray that both would come together, that your Holy Spirit would speak and our lives and our hearts would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Jesus talked about this stuff all the time, and the good news is that people have been trying to figure this stuff out for thousands and thousands of years. So we're in good company this morning that we have these same thoughts in our life. And so there's a story in Luke chapter 10, and Josh talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're going to use the same passage, so it'll be familiar to you if you are here two weeks ago. If you weren't here two weeks ago, it's brand new for you, okay? And this man comes to Jesus, and he says, where's it at here? There we go. A religious scholar comes to Jesus, written in Luke chapter 10. And he stands before Jesus in order to test his doctrines. A whole nother sermon there. He posed this question, teacher, what requirement must I fulfill if I want to live forever in heaven? And Jesus replied, what does Moses teach us? What do you read in the law? And the religious scholar answered, it states you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your passion, all your energy, and your every thought, and you must love your neighbor as well as you love yourself. And Jesus said, that's correct. Now go and do exactly that, and you will live. Interesting point. This guy didn't really want to know what Jesus thought. He was trying to trap him, and so Jesus kind of turns the whole thing around on him. But he answers correctly. And the first point, if we're going to be good neighbors, is, is, is what Jesus is saying here is, is something that also Mr. Rogers said when he said this. Mr. Rogers says, you can't really love someone unless you really love yourself first. So Jesus is starting here, and I think getting to the heart of what this guy's problem probably was, 
Because he says, you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's why this is important. Because I can guarantee you, I am not going to regularly offer you more kindness and mercy than I offer myself. And so if you find someone that is really unkind and kind of hateful and mean to people, what you're seeing is someone who actually hates themselves. And it's just spilling over onto the people around them. That's why Jesus says things like this, that it's actually important, right? So he says this in, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, so I give you now a new command, love each other just as much as I have loved you. See, to reset this, if you're having a struggle right now being kind and merciful to people, it may be because you have not really got your heart around how much Jesus has loved you first. And when we start by saying, I'm going to start loving you as I've been loved, well, what can begin to happen is it's not like a self-narcissistic like kind of deal where I, I just love myself. It's coming to the place where I understand how much I've been loved. And, and as Jesus has loved me, that's the starting point for how I actually treat myself. And if I can treat myself the way Jesus does, I have a good start to actually begin to extend that to you regularly as well. That's where Jesus starts with this guy, but, but then the guy gets a little deeper into this, like most of us do, okay? And, and he says this in verse 29, he wants to justify himself. So he questions Jesus further saying, what do you mean by my neighbor? Good question, right? Okay, so I love my neighbor as myself. Fine, I got it, whatever. But what do you mean by my neighbor? And we ask this question quietly to ourselves all of the time. And here's how I know it. Because last time the, the house on your street was for sale, you started thinking about who you might want to move in next door. Okay? Now, let's just be honest. All of us have two lists. We have the list of people I want to be my neighbor, and we have the list of people I don't want to be my neighbor. Neighbor. We don't say these things because if we were to get really honest about the list of who we don't want to be our neighbor, we would be really embarrassed slash convicted like maybe there's a lot of area in the Hartle region that needs a lot more of Jesus, all right, would be, was, is what we would understand. And here's what I found in my life is oftentimes the people that make the people I want to be my neighbor list they actually look exactly like me. To be neat, I got two. I got two houses on my street right now for sale. Won't you be my neighbor? If you like you too, and probably the Cubs too, and I wouldn't mind if your kids play travel sports with mine. If you like to wear Jordans, and sometimes you like beach vacations, hope you vote the way I do. <laughs> and you don't park in front of my house. <laughs> and you have a lawn service so the dandelions don't get out of control and screw up my lawn because I work on my lawn a lot, and then you were there, there, you screw my lawn up, and then I want to burn your house down. <laughs> my neighbor. Right? 
Because when somebody moves in next door that doesn't look like you or smell like you or speak the language you speak or vote like you or they don't like the colds, or it's the list and you're like, won't you live inside the 465 circle? Jesus knows it about us. He knows it about this guy. And this is why he tells the story. Jesus replies, listen, I'll tell you. I'll tell you who your neighbor is, friend. There once was a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. When bandits robbed him along the way, they beat him severely, stripped him naked, and left him half dead. Soon a Jewish priest walking down the same road came upon the wounded man, seeing him from a distance. Stop. Now, we read the Bible, and we just think it, Jesus just rattles these things off. This is a human being talking to another human being. He's telling a story. So I think there's pauses. I think there's moments where Jesus is pulling people in. And I think at this point in the story, Jesus stops just long enough for this guy to fill the blank in with his presuppositions of how the story's supposed to go. So we have a Jewish person on a journey that needs help, and then a Jewish priest comes along the man along the road, and I think Jesus pauses, and this guy fills in the blank with this. Got a Jew helping a Jew. This is good. I like it. We help our own. Good story. Religious. I'm religious. Okay, Jesus, I like this story. The Jews get the, this is a story about help the Jewish religious people. And Jesus goes, and the, the priest crossed to the other side of the road and walked right past him, not turning to help him one bit. And you could almost see the guy's face, right? Like, what kind of story is this? Jesus continues. But wait, later, later a Levite, a religious man. Levites were the priest's assistants, so kind of like second in charge kind of bros, right? He comes walking down the same road. And you can see the guy now, right? He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> I get the story, Jesus. Back your bro up, right? If your bro screws up, you're there to pick him up. Have a wingman. That's the story. I like it, Jesus. Have a good wingman with Jewish people helping Jewish people. I like it. Good story, Jesus. And likewise, he, he crossed to the other side to pass by the wounded man without stopping to help him. Then Jesus just drops the bomb on him. Like this would have been full meltdown of his brain. Finally, another man came along the same road, a Samaritan. And you can just imagine this Jewish religious leader just. Mm, mm, mm. See, the Samaritans, they were, they were dogs. Impure, just. Mm, mm. Won't you not be my neighbor? Jews would walk like around towns. They would do whatever they could to avoid any contact with Samaritans. Like they, they, they did what they could to make Samaritan people invisible to them. And so the story that Jesus is telling is actually a story about invisibility. You see, because the, the priest comes along, poof, 
you're invisible. Then the Levite comes along and he, poof, you're invisible. But then the Samaritan, who this religious leader in his brain, when he saw the Samaritans, he would go, oh, poof, you're, you're invisible. He becomes the hero. And Jesus goes on to, to talk about how, how, how much of a hero he is. He's moved with tender compassion for him. He stoops down and he gives him first aid, pouring olive oil on his wounds, disinfecting them with wine, bandaging them with them so they stopped bleeding, lifting him up and placed him on his own donkey. He brought him to the inn. He took him from his donkey and carried him to the room for the night. The next morning, he took his own money from his wallet and gave it to the innkeeper with these words, take care of him until I come back from my journey. And if it costs more than this, I'll repay you when I I return. So now tell me which one of the three men who saw, who saw the wounded man proved to be the true neighbor. And I bet you the guy was like, mm. and notice that he doesn't actually say the Samaritan. He just says, the one who demonstrated kindness and mercy. And Jesus says, yeah, you must go and do the same as he. Here's what I'm beginning to notice about our cultures. We have lists of people we don't want to be our neighbors and we don't want to be neighbors with them we're nice to their face because we always are. The problem is we've created technology called Facebook and Instagram where we're able to be honest with how we actually feel about people. And then we go, oh, what is wrong with our culture? Well, it's, it's the same culture that we've always had. People now just feel courageous enough to hide behind their keyboards and say the things they've already felt. Like, why can't we just keep our bigotry and our racism safely behind our ability to make people different than us invisible. Like when was the last time, you may dislike most of the sermon from here on out, just letting you know, because I don't like it either. Unfortunately, I can't tap out because I have some more time. When's the last time you sat down and saw someone that was absolutely, completely polar opposite than you in everything? Gender, race, religion, political party, football team, everything. You know, the people on Facebook that you still may be their Facebook friend and they post stuff and you're like, how do you even, what, huh, what, huh? You actually think these things? Like the people that, that lead the news shows on the other station that you don't watch, right? Like you feel safe watching MSNBC, but you can't stand watching Fox. And anybody that watches Fox, you're like, you, you have a brain cell, right? You just one, you have one that's holding on. It's barely running things for you, but you got to be careful because there's one. Or you watch Fox News because you can't handle, who would you, how do you even, what, huh? Right? Is anybody else like me? When you think about people that see the world and operate completely different than you, it's great to think they're actually just stupid. Because <laughs> if you were smart, you would think like I think. So it's easy to make you invisible if you're also dumb. Except 
If you sit down with someone that's completely opposite of you and see them and listen to them and you lead with kindness and respect and compassion, you find that you're not dumb at all. In fact, you may be smarter than I am and I need to learn something from you. I've started an experiment. I don't know how it's gonna go, but I'm so tired of seeing how we actually feel about each other on Facebook and Instagram, I thought, I can't do it anymore. So as I'm reading an acquaintance's post and I'm like, dang it, I know you're smart, but I don't understand. Unfortunately, Holy Spirit still working in my life and he says, you should get coffee with him. And I said, no, I shouldn't. Watch this, Jesus, poof, he's invisible. But he wasn't. So I texted him, I said, let's get coffee. And we sat down. For the first 45 minutes, we talked about life. He's a father. He's got sons. He's a husband. He works. And for 45 minutes, we enjoyed the fact that we have the same fears and the same desires and the same wants for our kids. And it's, it's, there was just same, just greatness. And then he said, hey, why did you even call me to get coffee? I said, well, and I explained it to him. And he said, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> and I have no desire to change any of his perspectives. I just actually want to try to make myself uncomfortable enough to see if Jesus can still change more of me. It's been cool. We've been exchanging podcasts and videos and books to read together now. And I don't know what will be the end of it. What I, what I, what I want to do is, is if we're going to plant all these churches all over town and we're going to be a part of the Mercy Road thing and be a part of the Jesus thing, is, is I, think, I, I think we've got to be people that after they're around us, they're like, hey, do you know if they're Christians or not? I don't know, but I know that they're really kind and merciful and they make goodness just look really attractive. The other part about this in 35 seconds is that um, there didn't seem to be a litmus test for kindness in this story, did it? I tend to have a litmus test of stories. If you'll notice, when I preach, I do my best to make, be really honest about how barely a Christian I am, okay? Just so you feel better about yourself and maybe we can all join in the pool of vulnerability and let Jesus do work in our hearts, okay? So I tend to have a litmus test for kindness. This one, there wasn't one. Jesus says, here's what happened to this guy, and he needed someone to be kind and merciful. We don't know anything about this guy's life, do we? Like, where was the guy coming from when he got beat up? Was he out drinking with his buddies? Did he know that was not a neighborhood? Was it unwise? He knew he shouldn't have been there. It's kind of his fault for going there at that time of day anyway. Maybe he had an anger problem. I bet he mouthed off. He's always running his mouth. He got in fights in college all the time. Here he is mouthing off at these robbers. He should have known. Shut your mouth and just keep... We don't know. Was he cheating on his wife and coming back from his mistress's house? I don't know. Did he vote for Trump? Hard to say. Does he like the Patriots? Okay. I don't know. Jesus gives us no litmus test for kindness. He just says... Here's what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks like this. Oh, man, this is difficult stuff. 
He says, here's what the kingdom of God looks like. He says, it looks like loving your neighbor as I have loved you. And then Jesus says stuff like this. While you guys were still sinners, like actually enemies of God, Christ died for you. Like not just he was kind, he died for us. Before we ever said we were sorry or ever started doing it right. And so this is the amazing opportunity we have to start seeing people and starting with kindness. I forgot this quote. Mr. Rogers said there's three keys to success. Three keys to success. First one is to be kind. Second one, to be kind. Third one, just be kind. Davey preached a sermon last week, just wrecked me so good about forgiveness, about deep healing type stuff. Oh, so good. So I thought we would follow up this week with just something remedial. <laughs> something really easy, like be kind, and then after you're kind, be kind. And then when you wrap that up, be kind. As the band comes and we wrap up, here's what I, what I want you to do. I think when you came in, you got these Oikos cards, right? And um, there's lots of slots. We're looking for people that you want to influence, people that you want to invite into your life, people that you need to start seeing. And how about this? How about the first five people you write down that, that God may be leading you to spend more time with, to invite? Go ahead and the first five, I want you to start with the people that you really would like to be your neighbor. You're probably gonna write down five people that you really like because they're kind of like you. No problem, that's normal. But I wanna challenge you this morning is maybe in the next five slots, start asking God for who are the people that you have been making invisible that he's inviting you to start seeing. And if you think for just a minute and someone's face pops in your brain, it's them. That's, that's how the Holy Spirit works. Jesus, thanks for it today. Thanks for the fact that if we keep following you, you won't let us stay the same. Actually, that's not true. Thank you for the fact that you always give us the opportunity to change. And thank you for the fact that you never force us to do it. But that's the space that we get caught in, God, is that you love us so much and you respect our freedom and you want us to, to choose love is that you, you reveal things to us like you did this morning. You reveal to us our motives, uh, our heart's desires, our prejudices, uh, our problems. The word of God, you, you say it's, it's living and active, and today it has exposed things within us. And the opportunity now, Holy Spirit, you give is you give us an opportunity to respond. And that response, God, it's called obedience, and it's in that obedience that we experience transformation. And so we need that because our city needs an army of people that see everyone that you see and respond with kindness and mercy. And so um, 
give us the wisdom to know how to step into that, and I pray that you would give us the courage to do it. And as a result, I pray that people in this great city of ours would know that we are your disciples. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.